Welcome, everybody. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ and our Savior. I want to invite you to stand and sing with us. After we hear from the word of the Lord, from Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. good when there's nothing good in me you are love you are love on display for all to see you are light you are light when the darkness closes in you are hope you are hope you have covered all my sins you are peace you are peace when my fear is crippling you are true you are true even in my wandering you are joy you are joy you're the reason that i sing you are life you are life in you death has lost its sting I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms, the riches of your love will always be enough, nothing compares to your embrace, light up the Nothing compares. 
will sing. My heart will sing. No other name. Jesus. Jesus. My heart will sing.
be seated. Good morning, everybody. It is time to invite our children down to children's ministry. So, younger kids, if you want to make your way over to that side of the room, we're going to gather over there, and of course, we're going to send you off with our, our blessing and greeting as well. So, once again, children's ministries, you guys can head over towards that side of the room. Once again, too, just a reminder, we'd like to thank everybody for uh, any of the donations that you make to Hardwake Ministries. Uh, without you guys, of course, all the ministries that happen here on this campus and far beyond, we're grateful for that. You can make donations in the, the uh, bins that are located by the doors, or you can also do that at hardwakeministries.com to give online as well. So, kids, we're going to send you off. Adults, if you can help me out, the Lord be with you. Well done, well done. Have a good after, have a good morning, everybody. All right, that's going to take us right into a time of prayer. So if you could pray with me, beginning with some words from Psalm 91. Let's pray. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me. Says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, may we be a people that says the Lord is our refuge. And may every other word of this psalm be true in our lives as well. As well. Protect us and bless us as we continue to call on you when things seem dark. Lord, thank you for the signs of spring. With the weather beginning to warm up and things beginning to turn green again, we thank you for the excitement for all of our upcoming beautiful West Michigan summer activities. Lord, thank you for being a God that includes us in your work. Challenge us to step up for you and whatever opportunities you grant us each day to serve you. Grant us the eyes to see those opportunities and the conviction, courage, and ability to tackle those opportunities with gratitude just because we've been called on by you. Lord, thank you for the ways in which you have blessed us all individually. Help us to pool those gifts, those talents, those resources, and financial blessings as one church to do your work here in our neighborhood and beyond. Lord, we pray for all of our leaders, from our bosses at work to our teachers at school, or leaders of our country. We pray that you grant them the wisdom that is directly from you and of you. And we also thank you for the opportunities that you grant all of us to lead in our daily lives as well. May we lead in ways that allows your light to shine through us. Lord, thank you again for the blessing of being able to be together today and to be one unified body of Christ that is hungry to glow grow closer to you. Amen. Thanks, Nate. Hey, good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome to Fusion. Welcome to, to May, right? It's May 1st, believe it or not. The promise of flowers instead of showers and all that jazz. By the way, I, 
There has been this meme on the internet that about Justin Timberlake. Has anyone seen this? And, okay, it says like roses are red, April is gray, but pretty soon. And yeah, and then and I, and I see a picture of Justin Timberlake, and I'm like, Justin Timberlake? I'm like, I don't get it. I finally got it. They sang this song, It's Gonna Be May. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. So it's going to be May. So if you've seen that, like me, and didn't understand it, there you go. There's your little cultural nugget. Yeah. We'll talk a little more about culture today, but, but what's more important is we gather for worship as a community, and this space is kind of this reorientation, this recentering, this practice, this grounding rhythm for us each week where we gather to worship, to focus our hearts, minds on Christ. Amen? And so we're going to do that again this morning. Uh, last week we began a, se- a series of messages during Eastertide. Remember, we remembered that Easter to Pentecost is the season of Eastertide. And so we can continue to say, Christ is risen. Risen indeed, absolutely. And during this Eastertide season, we're exploring the, the New Testament book or letter of Colossians. And it's a, a series we're calling uh, Jesus, the Glory and Mystery of God. Next week, we're going to really talk about some of the passages that pick up on that theme. Last week, though, was the introduction to this ancient letter uh, to the church in Colossians. Again, we're reading someone else's mail. It is a letter, so it's important to remember that genre throughout this series, that this is a New, an Old Test, or a New Testament ancient letter. And Paul's writing from prison last week. Uh, he opens this letter as he often would uh, open an ancient letter with a, a prayer of thanksgiving. And last week we remembered that Paul thanks, thanks God for the church's virtue, for faith and love flowing from hope in the gospel. And then Paul prays for the church for wisdom because as we all know and discovered and were reminded of last week that That living faithfully in any culture is hard and it requires wisdom. And so we talked about those things. Well, this morning, we get to the heart of this letter of of Colossians. In fact, this is the heartbeat, the, the foundation, the center of gravity for the first century church movement in ancient Rome. And it continues to be the heartbeat and the foundation of this Jesus movement 2,000 years later. It is the gospel. There's our little Bible project poster, that whole left side, that left bottom corner, that is the passage that we are covering this morning, looking at the the supremacy of Christ. Paul uses poetry, poetry to help the church in Colossae grasp and understand the supremacy, the divinity, or the lordship of Jesus Christ. And he does this uh, in this beautiful Christ poem. We're going to kind of look at the two movements of that poem. And then he ends this section that we'll be reading, uh, sharing the implications of who Jesus is for each of us. And so let's listen once again to these words written 2,000 years ago, words that continue to resonate with us today. If you're willing and able, I'd invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we once again praise you and thank you for this gospel. Good news, Lord, that has implications and ramifications for our lives today, but for the world throughout eternity. Lord, remind us of this good news in Jesus Christ. Ground our hearts and our lives in this reality, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. One of the things I, I love, and it, it happened again, like every Sunday something happens, but did, after one of the songs, one of our little ones went, woohoo! I don't, did anyone else hear that? And there is this innocence in our children that I, that I admire, and, and maybe even envy a little bit, right? This, this childlike innocence. And it happened once again on uh, just yesterday. Our, our kids are in swim lessons, and we're watching swim lessons, and there's this little infant sitting right in front of us on the, on the, on the stands there. And she's just a few months old, and, and she's looking up at us and just has this smile from ear to ear. And we're just, of course, acting silly, and, unless, except for the fact there's a baby in front of us. Like, Oh, you know, going peekaboo, and there's just this wonder and this innocence of our children, and we see it here in, in, in our in our worship space as well. Uh, whether it's during worship singing, and some of our little ones start to emulate what others are doing, and, and that's just a beautiful thing. Others of our uh, other of our kids are are just sprawled out on the ground, right, coloring their coloring pages without a care in the world. Other some of our kids are just busting across the the worship space, and I love it all. Because our kids are just being kids and they're experiencing this freedom. The same freedom as I think about my, my kids and Bryson who's four and a half. Uh, you know, he'll see someone outside in our neighborhood and he opens the door and just starts calling out, hi! Right, there's this freedom and this innocence that our kids experience. Uh, which is why it was, it was, it was a little jarring for me. Uh, we had the spring program a couple weeks ago and I think for the first time in my life, I embarrassed my daughter. <laughs> like I looked at her and she's, wa I mean, there's hundreds of people there. Maybe, th I don't know, it was, a, it was a ton of people. And I'm like, Emmy, and I'm waving, you know, like that dad. And she's like, you know, like, <laughs> maybe, it, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating what happened. But I was like, okay, yep, I'm going to be the dad who embarrasses his daughter. That's okay. But childhood is this season of, of innocence, Right? 
where, where our kids um, ideally experience a certain level of stability and security and love. And that security and that love allows them the freedom to explore their world, to discover their world, to, to make mistakes knowing that, that they're still going to be loved because in making mistakes they learn lessons and, and they grow and they learn and they, they learn what it means to get older and to live in this world. And, and that's all a beautiful, beautiful thing. Which makes some of the trends we're seeing in our culture all the more troubling. Current trends around anxiety and, and depression, which are on the rise. And they're on the rise even at younger and younger ages. We are in general more anxious and depressed as a culture, and the stats seem to back that up. Though admittedly, I'm a pastor, not a sociologist. And we might be tempted to, to point to the last two years uh, the global pandemic and political polarity, unrest, conflict, and certainly those issues and things caused an increase in anxiety and depression. But we've been on this trajectory for over a decade. That anxiety and depression has, has been in, on the rise. And some of it correlates with social media, and some of it correlates with the creation of the like button or the share feature on Facebook and Twitter. But I'm not convinced that that's the full story. Now again, I, I don't pretend to know the whole story. I'm far from being an expert in this. But I think there is some other piece to this. There is something underneath that contributes to this. And I think it has to do with how we see the world. And how we frame and understand reality. Because our passage that we just read gives a certain vision and understanding of reality. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I want to do this morning is, is jump into the gospel. We're going to look at our text. And we're going to see how Paul beautifully arranges and, and describes this good news of Jesus Christ. But then we're also going to look at, at how this gospel, this, this message that Paul is, is speaking of and writing to this church speaks radically into the first century Roman world. And then what I want to do is also then begin to just explore with a certain humble posture how it might speak into our lives and culture as well. So that's kind of where we're going. But let's begin by looking at the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Now, we could do a deep dive. We could look at specific words, draw meaning from, and do some word studies, and we could just really go verse by verse, word by ver word. But what I want to do is to pick up on some repeated words, some themes, and some larger sweeps of this passage so that we can begin to also look at how it landed in the ancient world and how it lands today. Paul brilliantly crafts this Christ poem into two primary movements. The first movement is verses 15 through 17, where he's really focused on declaring and speaking this truth that Jesus Christ is Lord of creation. And then the second movement of this poem is verses 18 through 20, where Paul talks about Jesus as the Lord of 
the new creation. And we're going to talk about both of those. And then the third kind of section that we read is kind of where Paul kind of wraps it up and, and kind of gives the implication of this reality of Jesus' lordship to the church and to us. And so let's begin with those first two movements. Those first two movements, 15 through 17, 18 through 20, uh, are framed by two statements that identify Jesus as the firstborn. Okay, the firstborn. It begins by, in verse 15 saying, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 18 uses the same, similar language of firstborn. Now, firstborn in the Greek is the Greek word prototakos. Prototakos from protos, which means first or really preeminent. And that's an important part of that word. And tikto, which means bring forth. Uh, firstborn here, prototakos, literally refers to Jesus Christ as the first from whom all else will follow and flow from. So preeminent, the firstborn, but from whom all else will follow. That's kind of the idea of this Greek word, firstborn. You take that combined with how Paul describes Jesus in two ways. First, as the image of the invisible God, and the one whom all God's fullness dwells in verse 19. So the image of the invisible God and the one in whom God's fullness dwells, this is Jesus Christ. Paul here in Colossians 1 is speaking of the divinity of Christ. That Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. We don't know what God looks like, but if you want to know, look at Jesus. Jesus is the stunning reflection of who God is. He is the image of the invisible God. And the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. Paul is talking about the divinity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if you remember from our series prior in the book of Exodus, this word Lord, Yahweh, Jesus is Lord in that sense. That's one of the things Paul is getting at. And this is the gospel. Now the lordship of Jesus Christ in this Christ poem is expressed in two dimensions. The first is he is the lord of creation. And then the second dimension is he's the lord of the new creation. Let's talk about each of those. Jesus is the lord of all creation. Here, verse 15. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Paul is saying that Christ is the firstborn, the Lord over all creation. He goes on to explain what that means using the same word. All things, all things, all things, Christ is Lord. He says, in him, all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. What are all things? Heaven and earth, two categories. All things, visible and invisible, those are two categories. All things, and then powers and principalities and authorities and rulers, all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. He was with God at the beginning of the creation. He was with God at the beginning. And then this beautiful kind of shift in verse 17. He was before all things, and then in him all things hold together. So he was with God at the beginning. Through him all things were made. And then even in him all things hold together. Together, Paul is, says even more than, than just that God is, that Jesus was, in him all things are made, but in thing, him all things hold together. Meaning that Jesus Christ, in Christ, God sustains all that we see, this created world that we see. 
you remember the song that, that many sang back in Sunday school back in the day, right? He's got the whole world in his hands, right? I think that's actually a powerful illustration of, of God's sustaining power. Imagine with me you're at Lake Michigan and you're holding a clump of sand in your hands. And you can keep that clump of sand kind of in a ball, right? But what happens the moment you start spreading your fingers or you start moving your hands? That sand begins to crumble and fall to the ground. In a similar way, God in Christ Jesus holds this world that we live in together. That God is powerfully holding this earth and world together by his sovereign power. It's almost like God's power is the force of gravity, right? In scientific speak, right? Holding this world together, these forces. It's of him. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all creation. In fact, this can be summed up in in a famous quote by Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper says this, no single piece of our mental world is to be hermeneutically sealed off from the rest. And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Every square inch of this universe belongs to Jesus Christ. He is Lord over all creation. But Paul goes on. Paul Paul goes on to say more. That the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of the new creation. Verse 18 kind of begins this, this next section of this poem. He says this, He that is his Christ is the head of the body of the church. He that is Christ is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Now, maybe that sounds familiar, and so we're like, well, that sounds familiar, so that makes sense, but think about that. What a strange statement. Firstborn from among the dead. What does that mean? What does that even mean? What Paul is referring to is, is kind, of a, a kind of rebirth. If you are born after you are dead, you are coming to life after you are dead. What are we talking about here? Starts with an R. Resurrection, right? So Jesus Christ is the firstborn among the dead, born after he died, the first to be raised from which all will follow, right? So Jesus Christ was the first to be raised. Now, other people had been raised from the dead, but they would die again. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead in a different way, having a physical human body. We remember during Easter tide, right? He ate meals with his disciples, and yet that body was different than our bodies now, a body unencumbered and unhindered by locked doors in the upper room, right? So there's this new resurrection body. Jesus Christ is the first of many who will follow when Jesus comes again and there will be that final resurrection. Jesus Christ, the firstborn from among the dead. All this is possible because of Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 20 that not only this, but he will reconcile all things, there's that all things, all things to himself. We have been reconciled through Christ Jesus, but what Paul is getting is that the whole creation, the whole creation that has been polluted by sin and brokenness will also be reconciled and renewed when Christ Jesus comes again. This is what we talk about when we say the new creation. 
And, 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 and John, the apostle, gives a beautiful vision of the new creation in Revelation 21. And I want to just read this and maybe even close your eyes and imagine what John was seeing in this vision in Revelation 21. He writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything, all things new. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all creation that we see and Jesus Christ is the Lord of the new creation that we will experience in glory when Jesus Christ comes again. He is Lord. And then Paul continues to share the implication of this reality. And it's good news. It is good, good news for each of us. Verse 21, he writes this, once you were alienated from God. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Alienated, holy, guilty, blameless. And he writes, this is the gospel. By the way, that's a sermon title across campus. Because how do you get better than that? This is the gospel. This truth that Jesus is Lord has both cosmic and personal significance. We just touched on the cosmic significance that the whole created world will be reconciled to Christ and in Christ and through Christ. And now Paul lands it for his audience. Christ has not only and will not only reconcile all things to God, but he is making you holy. He is reconciling you to God. Holy, without blemish, free from accusation. And here's, here's, here's one of the, the most radical parts of this good news for the ancient context. Is that this is good news for anyone who receives it. The church of, of Jesus Christ in the first century world and the church here in Colossae is, is filled with Jews and Gentiles, men and women. Paul will go on to say barbarian, Scythian, right? Slave or free. This good news is good news for all. Even you and me, 2,000 years later, it's not simply reserved for a group of elite, privileged citizens. More on that in a little bit. This is good news for all. Paul has just outlined the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And this will inform the rest of his letter to the church in Colossae, and it informs the rest of the work of the church of Jesus Christ throughout history. But for the rest of our time this morning, what I want to do is begin to explore why this message that we just talked about was so countercultural and, and explosive and even dangerous in the ancient Roman Empire. And then again, begin to consider how this gospel might inform and push against some of our assumptions and understandings in our modern context. But let's begin by looking at ancient Rome. 
the gospel in ancient Rome. Remember, Paul is writing a letter. Again, genre is important. Paul is writing a letter to Christ followers living in a first century Roman city, Colossae. And so a lot of the things he's referring, it's hard for us to understand just how subversive his words are. But we touched on two things uh, that he covers in that poem and in that, in that implication, that Jesus is Lord, the lordship of Jesus, and then this thing that he's calling the gospel. Now we have to understand, in the ancient Roman world, both of those things laid out the way Paul does would have been incredibly controversial and even dangerous. Let's begin by talking about lord, the lordship of Jesus Christ, asking this question, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? By the mid-late first century, Rome was an empire. It was an empire. By this time, the emperor, Caesar, viewed himself and others viewed him as kind of this divine human. He was the most powerful human on planet Earth, and he was seen and elevated to kind of this divine status. And the people in the Roman Empire were expected to submit completely to, to Caesar's authority and his rule over the empire. And over time, this creed, this declaration of that allegiance developed. It was three words, at least in the English. I haven't looked at the Greek, but it's Caesar is Lord. That's a creedal statement, right? That is, that is, that is something you say together, a declaration of belief and allegiance. And this statement, Caesar is Lord, was engraved on buildings and coins, and people were expected to shout it in unison, to shout their allegiance to Caesar. This became a confession of Caesar's power and your allegiance to his sovereignty, power, maybe even divinity. Caesar is Lord. And this is why one of the earliest Christian creeds and confessions was another three-word confession. It simply went like this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus as Lord had, had, had significance for the Jewish people who saw Yahweh as Lord, so it said something in that realm, but it also said something in the first century Roman Empire. By saying Jesus is Lord, this is like so punk rock. Does that make me sound old? It probably does. That's like so, it's so punk rock and kind of rebellious to say Jesus is Lord. It's a religious confession, yes, but it was also a political one. There can only be one Lord. And so if we are declaring Jesus is Lord, that means Caesar is not Lord. And not only that, but Christians refuse to say G Caesar is Lord. And we're persecuted for it. You cannot have it both ways. It's either Jesus is Lord or Caesar is Lord. Right? It's, it's like if you went to a Hope Calvin game and you wore one of those jerseys that are split in half and one side is Calvin and one side is Hope, people would be like, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't root for both. It's one or the other. Now, that's a silly example, but you can't say Jesus is Lord and Caesar is Lord. It's one or the other. But it goes further. Because Paul uses this term gospel. Jesus is Lord, and now he's saying this is the gospel. The gospel in the Greek is euangelion. You want to say that with me? Euangelion. Euangelion. That's where we get the word evangelism, right? Euangelion. Good news. It literally just means good news. And in the Roman Empire, when Rome conquered a territory, this was a Roman Empire word. 
This is a word of the empire. And when Rome conquered a, ter- a territory, a herald would declare, you've been conquered, but here's the good news. Life's going to get better. That was the promise. The good news is that peace would come through the Roman rule in this land. And the belief was that as Rome came in, there was this belief that the Roman laws and values and codes and and the religions of Rome and the infrastructure, the roads that would connect and the commerce that would come would bring peace and prosperity. And so this was good news. Roman peace. And the good news for Rome was peace through, how, how did it come? Peace would come through military conquest. And if there was an uprising, the empire would would shut it down immediately. Good news through military conquest, violence, right? And this ultimately came from the sovereign leader, the emperor. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with the, the good news that Rome was declaring. The problem is that only a very small percentage of people living in the Roman Empire would experience any kind of peace or prosperity. Because the whole empire is built on taxing the people into poverty. It's it's built on the backs of the majority of the people that was required to keep this thing going. Good news, but only for a little bit of people. And so now in the Roman Empire, you have this group of, of people who are calling themselves Christians that are following this Jesus who was crucified. And they're using our word. Gospel, good news. And they're claiming that this Jesus is Lord. That's a problem. And he's bringing a new gospel, good news, that would bring peace. And it's not limited to a select group of elites. In fact, it's leveling the playing field. And, and, and that's, that's a huge issue for the Roman Empire. This becomes a threat to the structure and the fabric and the stability of Roman society and on top of which this whole empire was built. And history will show that that foundation was pretty shaky. It wasn't going to last. Do you see what Paul is saying? How subversive, and if I can, punk rock, these two confessions, Jesus is Lord. This is a new gospel. The Lordship of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now what I want to do is just consider some of the challenges that this brings to our our cultural context and some of our modern core beliefs and ideologies. Now let me start by saying this, to maybe ease any, what's he going to say? Okay. I I think there's so much we can be thankful for, first of all. So this is not me trying to bash our culture because I think the advances we've made in 2,000 years, I'm incredibly grateful for. I'm thankful for advances in medicine. I'm thankful for advances in technology. I'm thankful that we are a more connected world, that I can go downtown Holland and I can eat some sushi because our world is connected or I can go somewhere else and I can have tacos, right, and enjoy this food from around the world. But I'm also thankful for medicine that I can take a heartburn medication (laughs) so that I can enjoy those foods, right? Like, I'm thankful for all these things. On a more serious note, like, I am so grateful that my daughter will have opportunities as a woman as she gets older that women didn't have hundreds of years ago. Like, there's so much to be thankful for. So it's not about bashing culture. And and, and I'm not not trying to dive into any controversy either, so let's just take a deep breath. Okay. But I think there's some undercurrents in our culture that I want to address. Who is Lord? 
Let's talk about who is Lord and what is the modern gospel. Who is Lord in our culture? particularly our, the, the secular world that's increasingly having influence in our world. Who is Lord in our culture? Most will believe in the secular perspective, in the secular world, that we've kind of tossed this idea of Lord or God out, uh, right? Because we're secular. We don't believe in God as a culture. But really, I, I would suggest, and many others have suggested before me, that we've simply replaced God with something else, and we've replaced God with ourselves, We'll lift up people and we'll elevate people to kind of celebrity status, almost worship, and that's unhealthy, yes. But the moment they, they speak against what we affirm or our beliefs, we're pretty quick to, to discard them. We're pretty fickle that way because our unspoken but lived confession as a culture would be, I am Lord. Self is Lord. In our culture, the highest truth is your truth. The individual is sovereign and autonomous. We, we even say things like, I am the king of my castle or the king of my own domain. These, this is just in our culture's vernacular, right? And today there are even some in our, in our country who will claim sovereignty from the government because I am my own country, right? I don't understand all that, but that happens. Why? Because the individual rules today. The belief that the self, the individual is Lord. I am Lord. But this same belief system has its own gospel, a secular gospel. And sometimes that secular gospel is kind of cloaked and baptized with Christian language and, and we in the church have to be careful for that, to recognize that. But, the, but the, the secular gospel, if you will, the ultimate purpose in life and in our secular culture is to find inner peace and happiness. What do you want out of life? I just, I want to be happy. And I want to find inner peace. Now, is happiness bad or inner peace bad? No, those are good things. But this becomes the end game in our culture. Most people are seeking inner peace and happiness, right? Just in a different way. For some, seeking inner peace or happiness is, is to accumulate more, to make more money. For many of us, we're, we're working so that we can retire someday, right? And be on kind of an extended vacation. And, and that sounds pretty good, if I'm honest, right? That sounds good. But we also in our culture use words like self-fulfillment, self-actualization, self-discovery, to discover who I truly am. The premise is that true peace comes from within myself, salvation through psychology, if you will. And so what's the recommendation to experience that gospel? Use the mindfulness app, see a counselor, believe in yourself, love yourself, don't let anyone get you down. Now, I'm not against any of those things. In fact, I think probably most, most of us should maybe see a counselor, right? That's a good and healthy thing. None of those things are necessarily all bad, but we have to understand that none of those things can actually save us. We cannot save ourselves. And that's the problem with this secular gospel. If my self-worth is dependent on my own view of myself and my own ability to believe that view of myself, do you understand how unstable of a ground and foundation that that truly is? Do we understand that, that it demands so much of ourselves to, to kind of build this from within and it requires so much outside affirmation? We need lots of likes on social media if it's all dependent on me. When my value and my worth needs to come from within, that is so much for me to bear. 
when my salvation, my happiness, this inner journey is up to me, do we understand how overwhelming that is? Do we see that that doesn't help diminish or curb this increase of anxiety and depression in our culture and time and place? And we see these these escalating rates of anxiety and depression and we're freaking out because, yes, it's awful. And then we're all wondering, how do we stop this troubling trend? And and we immediately want to treat the anxiety and depression, and, and we should because it is troubling and we should do everything in our power to treat this this awful thing. But what if, what if, what if, what if that's a symptom of a much deeper, something deeper that's contributing to our illness? What if as a culture, we are asking individuals to carry way more than God ever intended for us to carry on our own? Again, I'm not an expert in this. Please hear that. But I wonder if, if we need to take a more holistic approach. Friends, here's, here's the good news. Good news? Did you see that? Yeah. There's a better, truer gospel. And it is good news. Christian gospel that Jesus is Lord. Paul's claim here in Colossians 1 can be summed up. Jesus is Lord. And what does that mean? It means that that you and I don't have to be Lord. And it means we don't get to be Lord. (laughs) It means both of those things. And so to those of us who are anxious and despairing, to the one feeling worthless, to the one feeling like you'll never measure up, you need to know that you were created in the image of God. That your value and your worth does not come from your own ability to believe that you are valuable and worthwhile. It does not come from the fact that other people are saying that you are good. No, your value and your worth comes from a place beyond yourself, from a place of transcendence. The creator of heaven and earth has called you his beloved. Your confidence, your hope, your peace can rest in the one who is, who was, and who is to come. This is good news. And on the other side of that spectrum, when we find ourselves becoming proud and a little delusional, believing that I am the king of my own castle and the lord of my own domain. As we begin to drink the water of this myth of autonomy, here's the reality. One day, your limits will catch up to you. The promise of secular individualism cannot deliver on its promise. One day, our limitations as human beings in this world will catch up to us. And on that day, My prayer is that God will give you eyes to see Jesus and will surround you with a community of faith ready to take you in and love you like Christ has loved each of us because here's the thing. The secular experiment, it's failing. It's failing. Any path towards salvation, uh, 
The path towards salvation is not an inner journey, discovering ourselves or following our desires wherever they might lead us. I don't know about you, but that path towards salvation seems, from my limited perspective, to have only led us to be more angry, anxious, depressed, and dangerously tribal. You see, the claim that Jesus is Lord and its implication is offensive to this hyper-individualism that worships individual freedom, self-fulfillment, self-actualization that needs affirmation day in and day out. What Christ modeled for us is a different kind of living. What Christ modeled for us is a call to self-denial, self-sacrifice. It's not worshiping ourselves. It's laying our lives down for someone else, even someone who you might disagree with. And if my mental model is that I am Lord and life is all about me and finding happiness, I will not and I cannot live the way Christ has called me to live. But if I believe Jesus is Lord, and if I believe that Jesus has reconciled all things, including me, through his own death, then maybe, just maybe, the Spirit of God will move in me in such a way that I might, in just moments, reflect what Christ has done for me, being willing to sacrifice and lay down my desires and needs for others so that I might truly find life. Now again, I... I want to say, like, I recognize that there is a, as we talk about anxiety and depression, I am not a sociologist, I am not a psychologist, and there are a lot of different contributing factors that lead to depression and anxiety, and I believe that we should take a holistic approach to helping people. So don't, we, we should address the symptom, and we should give people the help that they need, counseling or medication, or whatever it is, like, I'm all for that. But I think what we also can do as the church of Jesus Christ is help people build a stronger foundation. One that's broader and stronger than just us in our own strength. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's, it's, the, it's Jesus Christ incarnate in this world, the church of Jesus Christ, a community of faith that walks with one another, that, that helps us as we live in this difficult and confusing world. This is my prayer for you and me, and this is my prayer for our children as they grow up in this culture, that they would know and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that there is a gospel that is good news for each of us, because Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And so as we close, just hear these words of Paul as he closes out in verse 23, giving some instruction to the church, he writes this, continue in your faith established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. It's good news. It's good news. You join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this good news. And Lord, We pray, God, that that this good news, this reality of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, this reality and and, and how that changes how how we view ourselves, 
Lord, we pray that it would, it would make an impact. And Lord, my guess is that each of us knows people in our lives who are struggling internally about how they view themselves Lord, maybe anxiety or depression. Lord, we all know people who've been touched by these things. And Lord, we, we pray for them. Lord, we don't want to just think that words can, can become this magic pill to make things go away. Particularly, we talk about mental illness, but Lord, we pray that your power would intercede, that Lord, we would reach out to those that we love to just check in and to remind those that we love that they are valuable in your sight. Lord, remind us of this gospel, we pray, that we might believe it and live it and share it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us?
Son into this world to give his life so that you would not 